0: and welcome to episode six of season eight of the How to Hold a Grudge podcast. This is going to be a very exciting episode because as regular listeners will remember, we have spent season eight so far advertising our amazing How to Hold a Grudge podcast competition in which there are three exciting prizes to be won and one super duper prize as well, going to one of the three. Um, so just to recap, in case anyone doesn't know about the competition, it is now closed and judged and settled. So please don't try and enter it now. But the competition was to send us a grudgeworthy practice or Thing that happens or something that you've noticed from everyday life that you find to be highly grudgeworthy, and um the winners so three winners would get um a specially written poem about their grudge of choice written by the grudge podcast's poet laureate nick aubrey who is here today hi nick hi sophie um so so nick Uh, is going to well he has in fact already written he's already chosen the three winners because Nick was the judge Um, without any input from me I sent him the entries and he he judged them and he picked his favorite three and from those three he picked his favorite one that is the overall winner so all three of our winners who we are about to announce in a minute get a poem specially written by Nick and framed and sent to them Um, And I think, Nick, you'll sign them as well, won't you, once we've printed them out. So a signed, framed poem. Absolutely, yeah. Written by Nick about your grudge of choice. So that is a very exciting prize for those three winners. And then uh, the overall winner also gets invited to have lunch with the How to Hold a Grudge podcast team, which is basically me and Nick. Although... An equally crucial part of the team is Dom Gribbin, the producer of the How to Hold a Grudge podcast. Now, I know Dom has a young child, so he may not want to commute to the How to Hold a Grudge competition prize lunch, but we will invite him because he is an essential part of the team without whom we wouldn't have been able to have a podcast for all these years. So very exciting episode because first we're going to announce the three winners and Nick is going to read the poems associated therewith and then we're going to announce the one overall winner so we had loads of entries which was delightful um and we loved and empathized with most of your grudges there were a couple that we were like we don't quite get what that one's about <laughs> <laughs> not many not many generally we nodded our heads and agreed that all your grudgeworthy topics were indeed grudgeworthy so Um, not in any particular order. I'm going to say what the the winning grudges were and who they belong to. And then I'm going to ask you, Nick, to read the poems. Nick has written three brilliant poems. So the winners were, are, uh, Tim Cross with his grudge about Sources in restaurants that arrive in tiny, tiny jugs. So you <laughs> order, for example, a sticky toffee pudding. Well, you don't if you're me, because as you know, I find sticky toffee pudding very grudgeworthy because it's always disappointing. But let's say you didn't agree with me and you ordered sticky toffee pudding. Uh, Tim's grudge is when the sauce to go with that pudding or any pudding arrives in a jug that is so tiny that it cannot possibly contain enough sauce to cover the size of the pudding that it accompanies. Um, so that is one of our winners. Another of our winners is Devona Watt, whose grudge related to toilet paper dispensers that really don't easily or readily dispense toilet paper. And you have to sort of like prize it out with your bleeding fingertips and you're lucky to get any out at all. Now, Nick, you didn't know this grudge was from Devona uh, did you but you do in fact know Devona
1: I do yes I do know <laughs> Devona so Devona is a listener to the podcast um she knows about the podcast because we're friends so <laughs> she had, she had sent you a submission and you sent all these submissions I should say entirely namelessly you just sent me the you sent me the grudges and it was one of the ones it was one of the ones that I picked out as empathising with. And I wonder if it's because we, in fact, work for the same organisation. And I wonder if it's because we've both had similar experiences with the terrible toilet roll holders at the place where we work. But anyway, yes. So uh, it, it looks like dreadful nepotism, but honestly, it was um, it was picked at random.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, totally at random. Um, and that's so funny. I think it's really particularly funny if... She was thinking of the toilet roll dispensers at your workplace, which are obviously grudgeworthy by the sound of it, and you have that same grudge because you're using those same grudges <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> no, I exactly. quite like that detail. Uh so Devona is our second winner. Uh, and our third winner is Sarah Thompson, uh, with a grudge about uh now, Nick, you you can because this is actually our overall winner, isn't it? Sarah Thompson wins the the not only the the specially written poem uh signed and framed but also lunch with the how to hold a grudge podcast team um and you chose hers as the overall first prize winner because it's the one that you feel is most grudgery so you Absolutely. describe what the grudge is specifically
1: well Sarah's grudge really was against those people who seem incapable of going through their lives in its most tedious and mundane details without documenting everything with a series of selfies that they then um, post to the internet from you know whatever they happen to have put on in the morning to wherever they happen to be on a night out to the plate of food that they get brought in the restaurant or the the plate of food that they cook for themselves and I I almost cheered and did cartwheels when i read this it felt as if it felt as if someone was um sort of taking a dictation from my own brain it was absolutely (laughs) what i feel um and I, in fact, I've written about this subject myself before. So it was nice to have an excuse to write about it again. But yes, Sarah, you are absolutely correct. You you have the you have identified the most grudgeworthy grudge in the world.
0: <laughs> okay, so um all three winners will be contacted by email uh when their framed poem is ready. Um and sarah we will also send you some possible lunch dates we're assuming you want to have lunch with us if you'd rather not then you know please tell us. And we'll send you a lunch voucher for a restaurant of your choice but otherwise we will invite you to have lunch with us at some point in the new year uh, so those emails will go out um probably in early january do not worry if you don't hear from us till january that is when we will be um contacting you about sending the poems and arranging the lunch um now, I want to ask a question about this, this, um the, the overall winner grudge, because what I want to ask is, I don't have this grudge at all, by the way. So I think it's really okay. interesting. You have it and Sarah has it. I don't have it because I'm really nosy, right? So the more pictures people post about their food, what chair they've got in their living room, what lampshade they've got in their hall, I just love all those details. So I don't find a grudge with really, you. But what I wanted to ask was, are you talking about people who do this like all the time? So, for example, what, is it grudgeworthy if somebody, for example, goes to a particular restaurant and has, you know, if they're presented with a particularly nicely arranged dish and they put one food photo on? So, in other words, is it the doing it at all that's grudgeworthy, putting things from your life on social media? Or is it, where there's a sense that people do it constantly and almost the experiences are secondary to the ability or or desire to post about them.
1: Certainly, I think the way that Sarah framed it was, it was the people who were unable to live their lives without without um showing you every detail and that that's certainly something that i empathize with and there's there's just something that feels a little bit gloaty about it as well um so it doesn't it doesn't preclude the occasional poster where there i think the occasional post can be grudge worthy if there's a sense of ha look where i am and look where you're not but again that might just be that might just be my sort of um that might be on me that one, but so, yeah, I think really the grudge is uh, people who can't seem to do anything other than through an iPhone lens.
0: Yeah, I think that was my reading of it. Yeah, I think I think, I think actually you'd probably have to say it's a different grudge if uh, that yeah, thing
1: agreed. Yeah,
0: yeah, of people posting things that that might make other people think, oh, I wish I was there, but I'm not. That's yeah. a whole different grudge, isn't it? Because exactly. I think Sarah was referring to the people who sort of put a photo of like, you know, here's here's some bacon and eggs I had this morning. Exactly. Here's a you know, sandwich exactly. I had this afternoon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: certainly how I've taken it for the poem. So I hope that's what she meant.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting, though, because, I, you know, I'm looking at my Instagram now. Obviously, I'm not going to name any names, but somebody has posted a nice wintry snowy view that that's outside their window hmm. um I, that i don't think is gradually at all i think i think oh. for me if i get the sense that someone's having a busy life going about their business doing all kinds of stuff and sometimes they put a photo of something that takes their fancy on their social media yeah. but plenty of times they don't you know that kind of vibe I don't find that grudge worthy.
1: No, not at all. That's what most people do, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, so it's it's the people who you sort of think everything is done so that it can go on the social media more than or or if what's put on the social media is boring. So, for example, if somebody put a photo of like a cheese sandwich that they were going to have for their lunch on Instagram, I'd be like, it is just a cheese sandwich. I don't really need to see that. But but if someone was like having amazing oysters on a bed of like diamonds, I would want to see that because I would find that interesting. By and large,
1: I tend not to want to see what people are having for lunch, just generally as a rule. I think you're right. If, if you are somewhere exceptional and the point is yeah. – Whoa, look at this. This is remarkable. This is like nothing I've exactly, ever seen. Exactly. Yeah, before. yeah. But but if the point is, here's a nice plate of food that I'm about to eat and you're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I could have I I could have lived without that. And sort of the idea, and the idea behind the poem, I guess, is we did used to live without that. And it was kind of fine not seeing everyone else's lunch or where they were every minute of the day. Um, but there yeah. we
0: go. Yeah, and yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I I think maybe it depends on how nosy one is. Because I, like in my general view, is if people want to show me stuff, <laughs> I have to look at the stuff. I might not find all of it fascinating, but you know, thinking about imagine if there was no social media, then I wouldn't know what the view from anyone's window looked like. Correct. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I don't think that would be better. But anyway, I'm very pleased to have an overall winner that i don't entirely agree with because it will make oh. our lunch more interesting. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Okay, so without further ado, let yeah. us hear the three poems um that you've created to to uh honor these three grudges.
1: So the the tiny sauce one is a little is a suitably small poem. <laughs> Was it Tim who it was? Tim, was it, yes. Yeah, so I hope that I hope that Tim doesn't feel equally shortchanged by the <laughs> as he does by the restaurants. Um, but yeah, as as you know, lots of what I do, lots of the poems I write are four line poems. So this is a little four line poem in iambic pentameter, and it's called inverse proportion rather than inverse proportion. It is inverse proportion. Um, yeah. Those restaurants where the price of every course is greater than my total private wealth are always most inclined to serve me sauce in thimblefuls I'm meant to pour myself. Now I've sort of taken the liberty of slightly adding an element to his grudge because I think that the the core of his grudge was there's never enough sauce. Yes. But I think it's also I think it's also a sort of appendix grudge yes. that that you're doing half their bloody work for them the <laughs> yes <good laughs> What's what why did you you had a sauce in a vessel presumably <laughs> and my food was near it and yet you've put that you've transferred that sauce into another tiny vessel <laughs> and then you're going to stand and watch me tip it on <laughs> so, um yeah and as and again i've sort of I've, I've taken the liberty of 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 suggesting which i think is true that There is a sort of inverse proportionality here where the more you are the smarter the restaurant and the more you are paying the likelier this seems to be to occur that you're going to have a a sort of battery of tiny little vessels that you have to assemble your meal from
0: yeah i think that's absolutely true the more you're paying the fancier the restaurant the less sauce you're going to have and the more likely you are to have to pour it on yourself. And it's hard to do because the handle of the tiny jug is going to be so small. (laughs) Exactly. Can you read read the poem again? Because it is a small one. We can have it again.
1: Yeah, so it's called Inverse Proportion. Those restaurants where the price of every course is greater than my total private wealth are always most inclined to serve me sauce in thimblefuls I'm meant to pour myself.
0: Amazing. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and I, 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 that actually is something I'd never sort of fully registered or classified as grudgeworthy, but I absolutely think it is.
1: Yeah, that's, okay. uh, that's what I liked about it as well, which is it's definitely something that I have subconsciously registered, but wouldn't have wouldn't have articulated myself. So a good one.
0: <laughs> OK, let's have the grudgeworthy loo roll dispensers. Poem.
1: Okay. this is a this is a slightly longer poem written in um written in ballad meter or 14 um and it's called rubik's cubicle You are likelier by far to get a full and frank admission that they've buggered up the country from a British politician or a message from your children that is wholly unsarcastic or a present from a kinder egg that isn't made of plastic or a comprehensive work-through proof for Fermat's final theorem from the Leeds United First Team and the men who stand and cheer them or the laces from a horseshoe or a membership from Mensa than you are to get the paper from a toilet roll dispenser.
0: Brilliant such a brilliant poem
1: well it was it was it was I, yeah as you say this is from devoted um and it was something that really struck a chord with me because i've had exactly this experience or sort of i've turned this i've turned this roll around 360 720 degrees where is the end of this it's a bit yeah, like that yeah because like yeah, you so-
0: can always i know exactly the kind of toilet roll dispense you mean they're often in uh ladies public loos where you can get your hand into the plastic thing and you can sort of roll the roll round and round and round exactly. feel it and you just spin it round endlessly but you can't find any bit to pull and you think you start clawing at it thinking <laughs> i've got to just i don't know how to get some paper up here and then you, you try and grab the big round plastic thing and see if you can just pull it off and you can see this massive thick you know there's so much toilet paper in there but you just can't get hold of it exactly. oh brilliant brilliant okay and the third and overall winning poem
1: The third and selfies. This
0: is selfies. selfies.
1: Yeah. Yes, and again, it's uh, it's another, it's another four-liner, so it's another short one. Uh, And I've called it Vanity 1.0. Before there was the internet, when you were not yet born, we carried sacks of photographs, all dog-eared at the ends, of everywhere we'd been to, every outfit that we'd worn, and every plate of food we'd made to show to all our friends.
0: Now I love that poem because it's not—it's quite clever. It's—it's it's not just like this is a grudgeworthy thing. It's kind of in <laughs> making a, a very clever and, and true point that in the old days we didn't sort of actually take and have printed out photos of our meals and take them around to our friends' houses and show them in photo albums. So if we thought those things worthy of photographic record, we would have done that. I think that that point is made very. Exactly. So that was yeah, that was sort yeah.
1: of the idea in it. And that's, yeah, it, it was part of what appealed to me about it was that that idea suggested itself quite quickly that the absurdity of this is exposed when you when you consider that fact, isn't it? The absurdity yeah. of this behavior. We do this because we can, not because it's a, not because it's a good or rewarding thing for anyone to see.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for writing those amazing poems. And I bet our three competition winners are very much looking forward to getting their own signed framed copy.
1: It's been such a pleasure to do it. It's really good fun to read all the entries and uh, yeah. to try and think of them. Yeah, it was great.
0: And I mean, Nick, you've done an incredible job. So you not only wrote those three brilliant poems, but earlier on when we were setting up the competition, So that so that people would see what the deal was, I gave you some topics of my grudges, and you wrote poems about them. So it really does seem as though we just give you a grudgeworthy thing, and you can turn it into a brilliant poem. I think this is your poems
1: poems to order, poems to order. Well, I am I am theoretically the the poet laureate of the of that podcast, so I should probably try.
0: Yeah, but what's so funny is that I've been calling you the poet laureate of the Grudge podcast pretty much since the podcast began. And it's, beca- and it, you know, it's like I, by saying that a magic spell was cast and now you <laughs> literally can turn anyone's grudge into poetry. And I wonder whether we might turn this into a regular feature.
1: Oh, brilliant. Because Sounds
0: after, great. After every episode, I would say the podcast gets about, I don't know, it varies, but between sort of 10 and 20 people per episode will write in and go. And this happened to me, and that was grudgery. So we could make it an occasional feature where you write poems about people's grudges.
1: If, if people are desperate to have their, if people yeah. are desperate to have their grudges turned into poems, I shall do my best.
0: And, and then eventually there could be a book of the podcast's grudge poetry.
1: There we go. I'm getting
0: ahead of myself. Okay, <laughs> so so um, the main purpose of today's episode is indeed to reveal those winners and read the winning poems, and that has been done. But while we're on
1: yeah
0: i've obviously been noticing some grudgeworthy stuff in the world so before i let you go i'm going to just run a few things past you and see whether you think they're grudgeworthy or not because every time i get a new one i'm like oh got to discuss that on the, the the podcast so item number one for your consideration i just think this is so grudgeworthy, and it's a it's a grudge that is it, that relates to the national trust the organization, the National Trust. So so somebody I know went to a National Trust property and they had a family ticket. And it said something like, um, this is a family ticket and, you know, it allows you to do X, Y, Z. I don't know whether it was cheaper or it allowed you special access, but it was definitely called a family ticket and it gave you some kind of benefit or advantage over a normal ticket. So this person that I know went with a family ticket and she went with her. I don't know how old she is, but she's maybe, I don't know, 25 ish. She's she's a grown up. Right. Mm -hmm. So she went with her grown up sister Mm -hmm. and their mum and dad, Mm -hmm. two sisters and a mum and dad. Now, Mm -hmm. does that sound to you like a family? It, it sounds
1: uh, to come exactly <laughs> from the brief. For, <laughs> <It's> of, <great.
0: laughs> you couldn't really get more family ish than that. Two parents, <laughs> two children. I mean, the children yeah. happen to be grown ups. Anyway, the national, the, whoever was on the desk that day at that particular property, kind of, I mean, they did let them use the ticket eventually, but they kind of gave them a hard time initially right. for using a family ticket because they said no 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 that a family ticket means you bring some children right. but it didn't say that right the ticket wasn't called special offer for people with children under 18 in their party or or even family ticket but you know children essential it, it was just called a family ticket and basically the the person on the desk gave them a hard time and tried to suggest that because there weren't children in their party right they, they either shouldn't use the well I don't under, I don't know the exact thing that happened because they were allowed to use a ticket but it was strongly suggested to them that family tickets were not really meant for people like them but rather for a family group that that involved children but it's called a family ticket mm. anyway it was fine they were let in but she said it, you know it Really upset her and it ruined her experience a bit of that nice family day out at the National Trust. So I just thought that was so grudgeworthy. Because imagine, you know, the National Trust doesn't know every time a family group appears at its desk, it doesn't know the circumstances. Now, what if, you know, there had been some younger children in the family? And they'd recently been kidnapped by their psychotic aunt and taken to outer Mongolia. And, and, you know, the family were involved in a legal battle to retrieve the kidnapped children. In that context, for a national trust functionary to say, I'm sorry, you can't you shouldn't really be using a family ticket. You've got no children with you could be quite upsetting. And plus the fact that if you could, I mean, tell me if you disagree with any of this, but I was just incensed about this. If you call something a family ticket and say it's for families, like how dare you try and specify what a family is? A family is absolutely grown-up children and their parents. Why shouldn't it be? Am I am I wrong <laughs> about any of that?
1: No, I don't think you are. I think um, I've got sort of I've got slight personal experience about this, which I'll come on to in a minute. But I think you're right that the the even i suppose there are two stages to the grudgeworthiness here one is n- clearly having specifications as to what counted as a family in their heads and not making those clear so part of what's grudgeworthy about this is only revealing at the at the gate when it's awkward and difficult and as you say l- likely to leave a bad taste in the mouth only revealing oh no no no, no. obviously you don't count as a family where having not made that information sufficiently clear I mean I suspect it, it is because these things have to be I suspect it's in some small print somewhere but you need to make it clear very clear to the people who are buying don't you um so that's one aspect of the grudgeworthiness. but then as you sort of indicate there choosing to call something a family ticket at all when you then wish to specify fairly narrow limitations as to what that is is in itself quite grudgeworthy, because as you say, there could be sensitivities and it could be uh, it, it 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 seems to be unnecessarily opening a can of worms.
0: Exactly. I mean, and I just I just looked up uh, on the National Trust website just a second ago, family membership. Mm. It says join here if you want the family membership option and it says you know how many adults are in the family how many children are in the family now i don't know whether if i filled that in for my family say my two children are both over 18 now so if i said you know two adults no sorry four adults but two of them are my children yeah would i would the national trust get back to me and say sorry you're not eligible for family membership if so that is outrageous what because once so this, is common, this is a common thing, isn't it? This is this is a
1: fairly common thing, and I think you might be on something. I I used to work at Warwick Castle as a sort of holiday job. I grew up in the town of Warwick, the lovely town of Warwick, uh, and Warwick Castle is a marvelous place. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't denigrate Warwick Castle at all, but they had a family ticket. Yeah. And they specified at the time, I don't know whether they still do, my information is 30 years out of date, but I used to sit in the ticket office and sell tickets as my holiday job. And they had a family ticket, which specified that it was two adults and two children under whatever age it was under the age of 16. And it said that, (laughs) but I used to get people regularly who were very irritated saying, well, hang on a minute, we've pitched up here on the basis that there was something called a family ticket for this amount of money. I've pitched up here with my family and it's me and my husband and...
0: Or adult children. Well,
1: not even that, just it's our th- our three kids. This is our family and you've got a family ticket. Why can't I come in? Exactly. And...
0: So either adult children or it's me and my <laughs> husband, my sister and her husband. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> it's her husband's brother and his parents. I I think if something is calling itself a family ticket, it has to be... What it's basically offering is discount entry fees per person because you're a big group. And that family group can be anyone who's in any way a family, I think. So if I went with like my mother-in-law, my father-in-law and one of each of their siblings – and there's five of us, and we're all kind of a family, that should count. Now, if what bodies like the National Trust and Warwick Castle want to do is offer discounts for children, there's another way of doing that. It's like adults, X price, children, X price. But if you're going to call something a family ticket, and then you start deciding what is and isn't a family, that is outrageous, I think. You can hear how outrageous that is, because my voice gets all squeaky about it. (laughs) When I read about this, because she tweeted about it, and, you know, she is actually, she had a specific reason for finding this particularly upsetting. Right, and okay. she, she posted a photo of her, her sister, her mum and her dad. They could not have looked more like a family if they tried. So I just thought, oh. And, and what, do, what did the National Trust,
1: or whoever it might be, sort of other, other stately home providers are available, <laughs> Um what... What do they lose? I mean, you'd have thought that four civilized adults going round, probably drinking coffee and having cake in the cafe, rather than children ripping the Rembrandts off the walls. Sorry, I know not all children rip Rembrandts off the walls, but you know what I mean. Um you, you would have thought you would have thought that they would be more desirable and um, better customers <laughs> to have exactly, it
0: in exactly it is no ne- once you've got a body in the grounds or the building yeah it matter whether it's a, a a two foot tall children body or a six foot tall grown-up but i mean who cares you've just got another customer on the premises yes. that, and one, no, one-, one graduate thing but an additional and linked gradually thing is whatever the institution so you know okay the setup at the moment is family ticket means with children you're someone on a desk and you know this i still think even given that that is that is a sort of accepted fact of the situation to make an issue to yeah. to the people who I don't know. Maybe that's unfair of me, because if that is the National Trust policy and that's what the ticket says, then, you know, the people who are letting people into that that premises, I presume they have to say, well, actually, family ticket means this. It doesn't mean doesn't mean you lot. <laughs> but I don't know. Just you would think this would arise so often that they would have ditched this terminology by now. Yes, it's.
1: It, it, it certainly does seem to be unnecessarily problematic, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess in origin, the problem is how unbelievably expensive these places are to take your kids to on a in a school holiday or whatever. So I guess I guess it's a way of reassuring the existence of in inverted commas family tickets was presumably in the heads of the people who run these institutions. A way of reassuring people that you can still bring your school-aged children here and it won't break the bank um but the world is complicated and uh, it doesn't doesn't necessarily
0: be complicated and also we don't know what other restrictions there are on the definition of family so for example does a family ticket at the national national trust or anywhere ever mean two adults two children because what if there's a single parent family with two children or three children? Are they going to get told, sorry, you you haven't got a spouse, so you don't count as a family? I mean, that's equally horrendous. The whole thing is just horrendous and unnecessary. They could literally just go, kids get in half price, end of story. You know, Whatever discount they want to give to, ch- clearly they want to give discounts to children. And since children aren't going to come on their own, they're always going to be accompanied by adults. Just focus all the discount on the children and then Nobody's gonna no. be offended.
1: That would seem simpler.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm glad you agree. That is <laughs> that is grudgeworthy. Um, okay. So my my next grudgeworthy thing that I've discovered since we last spoke is places that businesses whose business model is that in exchange for taking your cash, they give you a place to sleep for the night. Okay. okay. Could be a hotel. Sure. Sometimes I guess it could be a conference center. But anyone who takes your money and then gives you a key to a room in which there is a bed. Yeah. Where it's generally understood in the business model that one of the main things you're paying for is to be able to sleep in that place at night. (laughs) But then that place also allows for loud partying to happen. Let's say they've got another room that they hire out for parties or, you know, there's a very noisy bar. So basically hotels or anything resembling a hotel that charge you money for a hotel room where you expect to be able to sleep and then allow such loud noise to be created that you can't sleep. Um Highly grudgeworthy, in my opinion.
1: It's a no-brainer, so if that's massively grudgeworthy. Of yeah. course it is. Of course it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's weird that it even happens. So, an example, I won't say what the place was, but recently I was in a place with um I was staying at the place, and so were several other people. Um, but 14 of the people in particular who were staying at this place with me and others were people who were there to have an educational experience. Right. During the days, they were, you know, taxing their brains quite a lot with one educational session after another, and they all wanted to be on very good form, and they all wanted to be able to get a proper night's sleep. And the venue, um, at the same time, had uh, another group of people in, who were intent on partying and doing karaoke and having loud romantic bus stops till half two in the morning. So the (laughs) following morning, all all these 14 people who really wanted to have had a nice sleep and be fresh for the next day of learning, they were all exhausted because they'd been kept up half the night, not only by the noise, but also by repeatedly having to go to the front desk and say, any chance you could do something about the noise? And then, the front desk tried to, you know, they kept coming and asking the party to make less noise. Um, so they, it, the people on in charge did do their best to stop the noise, but they failed because there were like 200 incredibly drunk, distressed and karaokeing revelers there. And I just think like <laughs> the fact that there was even the possibility of a party that could make that much noise in a venue that sells rooms in which people are meant to be able to sleep. I can't believe we've never discussed this before, because this has been one of my grudges for ages, ever since I, twice it's happened to me, actually, once in America and once in India, where I was in a really good hotel on both occasions. So it wasn't like a roadside motel where I thought, oh, well, anything might happen, like proper posh hotels. And In one instance, there was a poolside, in America, there was a poolside party outside my window with blaring, throbbing music. It was impossible to sleep. And when I asked about it, they said, oh, it'll stop at midnight. But I was jet lagged and I wanted to go to sleep at eight o'clock. And yeah. I think if you rent a hotel room, you should be able to sleep in it whenever you want to. Uh, so that was the America one. And the India one was that there was a massive sort of disco bar venue belonging to the hotel directly under my room. So it was like I was, my bed was sort of bouncing up and down as all this loud disco music was playing. So I had to go to the front desk probably about one in the morning and I said, I just there's no way I can sleep. There's a disco going on underneath me. And the very nice chap on the desk said, Oh, would you like me to move you to another room? I said, yes, please. So I was moved to a different part of the hotel where I could sleep. And then I thought, yeah, but that's that's not that's okay for me now. But why are you renting out that room knowing that whoever bought it or whoever was there that night physically can't sleep because you've got a disco underneath him. So I just think that's so grudgeworthy. Enormously gradually, and uh, partly it
1: would be it would be able to be excused if it were made clear up front when you were booking. We just want to make you aware that yes. you know on a Saturday evening the the bar is quite a popular local bar. There's karaoke there, so it's knocked on the head by eleven o'clock. But if you think that's going to be a problem, we wanted you to be aware about it. That would be absolutely fine as long if you were forewarned, yeah, uh, it would be fine. But yeah, I think I think weddings are always really difficult in in hotels as well. When there are obviously when a a, a bit of the hotel and several of the rooms of a hotel have been hired out to a wedding party mm. for the same reason, I always feel really awkward um, if I'm another guest. Mm. In a hotel where there's a wedding going on, you sort of I've, I somehow feel as if I'm crashing the wedding, even though I'm not. Uh, do you know what I mean? I yeah. I find that very very really awful. And again, it would it would feel churlish of you to say, "Do you think you could stop your wedding dancing at nine o'clock, please?" <laughs> because I need to go to sleep. But similarly, well, hang on a minute. You didn't tell me there was going to be this noisy wedding in the hotel when um mm-hmm. when you sold me the room. Mm-hmm.
0: And the thing is, I mean, you never know when people in a hotel room want to sleep. It could be midnight till 8 a.m., but someone might want to have a nap at three o'clock in the afternoon before going to an evening meeting. So yeah. I, I think, you know, it, it's it's clear what needs to happen in both. the So National Trust and places like it, they need to make the words family ticket mean any family. And they can just specify this many or more members of the same family. No age requirement. So easy to do, quick policy change, all sorted. And or they stop
1: can... using the term, or stop using the term, as you say, and just say, yeah. just have adult tickets, children tickets.
0: Children tickets are a discount. That's simple. Yeah, exactly. Because what, yeah, thinking about it, what if you wanted to go with six people who weren't your family? Why should a family of six get in cheaper than a friendship group of six? The whole thing is social engineering on a very dangerous <laughs> But with hotels, it's really simple. If I ran a hotel, here is what I would do. I would just take for granted that an absolute ground rule that can never be broken is that anyone in one of the rooms in my hotel has to be able to sleep at any time of the day or night. So no loud noise ever. And if I wanted to have a bar or a function room for parties, I would like put it down a long corridor, far away from all the guests. And if that wasn't possible because of the layout of the building, then I would just think, oh well, I can't have noisy parties here because you just like it. Just is so mad that that so many hotels think that's an option. Oh, I know, we'll have a noisy party, and hopefully, only the guests on floors two and three will be affected. And <laughs> like, what that is not okay. Uh, so anyway. The venue in question that was the recent offender, I've um, strongly recommended that they actually refund the affected people for the full cost of the night's accommodation. I don't think you can charge someone a penny for a night where where you (laughs) and your noise that you've allowed to happen prevents them from sleeping.
1: No, I think that's probably right. Yeah.
0: So we shall see. We shall watch this space <laughs> to be anyway, content. So, I mean, I've got more on my list of grudges, but I think we'll save those for a future episode. Do you have any grudgeworthy things you've noticed since we last spoke that you would like to draw? No, to- I, don't,
1: no I don't think I've got any. I, I don't think I've got any that I particularly want to air. I mean, I've got on the, on the hotels on the hotels thing. I can't remember if I've spoken to you about this before, but in I, I've got quite a lot of grudges against the people who design hotel bathrooms <laughs> and in p- particular the particular the sink area um yeah. and I've, I've written about this topic so you might be familiar with yeah,
0: I, I was just going to say i think i've seen a poem on this topic. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's i can't hotel taps yeah. i just it, i don't know when it started but there's this vogue now that you sort of they're pieces of design art. I mean, they look beautiful, but getting water to come out of them in at all, but certainly at the right temperature, it's just absolutely mystifying. There's no there's no I mean, it used to be the case, you've got quite smart taps, but at least there was probably a red thing and a blue thing, and you yeah. sort of you either had to turn it or waft your hand near it and something would come out. But no, it's just not at all codified in any way, this sink, just with this silver object that used that promises water but fails to deliver um but also and then trying to get the plug in it again it's not it's you don't get plugs on chains anymore you get a huge yeah. complicated mechanism so even if I could get the sodding water to come out of the tap I couldn't make it stay in the sink to have a shave or whatever it might be because um I can't work the plug so I do have a slight grudge against over-designed and over-complicated hotel sinks and it does specifically seem to be in hotels this 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 plague doesn't seem to have made it into the domestic arena yet or certainly not the sort of houses of the people that i visit but um uh yeah so over-complicated sinks it should be it should be simple shouldn't it to turn on a tap and put a plug in
0: it could be beautiful in design terms and really simple the the thing that i object to even more than that so i i think I generally manage to negotiate the sink in a hotel room. <laughs> I know what you mean, but I, I can usually manage that with a with a bit of trial and error. But the thing that I find genuinely impossible in some hotel rooms is getting to grips with the lighting system. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. At least five times recently, when I've got to the point where I wanted to turn out all the lights to go to sleep, mm. it was not straightforward. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't just a case of you turn off a switch. You know, in the old days, you'd have lamps and a main light. Yes. You just, you know where the switches are, you just turn them off. It's the easiest thing in the world. I would say, yeah, pretty much every hotel room I'm in now, when I want to turn all the lights off, I have to go through at least a 10 minute process of turning some on that I don't want to turn on by mistake. You go, oh, <laughs> if I press this, will they all go off? Oh, no, the main ones come on again. And you can't make sense of the system. It's not like you look at it and it, it's like, oh, okay, this is straightforward. And why can't they, desi- You know, couldn't they put words on light switches? Like, <laughs> even if, like if you press this, all the lights will go. <laughs> if you press that, your side, you know, your bedside table light will go off. I know they don't want to put that many words on, but surely it's not beyond the wit of humans to make hotel room lighting easily usable I actually dread it now when I arrive at the better the hotel the more I dread the lighting system (laughs) Um, and I love it if if it's one of those hotels where you have to put a card in a slot to get any light I'm always so relieved I think when I'm ready to go to sleep and I want full dark I just take that thing out all the light (laughs) because I just I don't want to have a half hour session where I have to make sense of the lighting system
1: No, it's true. It does seem as though they are designed specifically as a sort of intellectual test, Mm. Um, as if, you know, they'll only give you breakfast if you've managed to operate the bathroom and the lighting. And, And if you're going to make it that counterintuitive and complicated please just when I arrive just explain to me how it works yeah, or have <laughs> a little brochure have a little thing yeah, that tells you here's maybe, how to work our over complicated things
0: 20 page booklet explaining in detail how the lighting system works <laughs> you know I don't believe there's anybody who wants to do that and also sometimes You know, if I'm in a hotel room with my husband, I will generally say to him, could you try and get to grips with the lighting system? And often, you know, between us, we'll try for half an hour and we end up not succeeding. Like It's not even as though the time you put into it is always repaid with a good result. Sometimes we know no more about how the lighting system works after three days in the room than we did when we first arrived.
1: Of course, you could you could try Throwing your curling tongs into the bath and just fusing the whole system, but then that would require being able to put the tap into the bloody bath. So
0: <laughs> it does. Oh, it's, well, if we ever designed a hotel, it would have none of these downsides
1: <laughs> a light switch and a plug on a chain.
0: Maybe one day the podcast will have its own hotel or resort. <laughs> People could. Hotel Grudge. I love it. Hotel <laughs> Grudge. Oh, brilliant! Well, on that exciting proposition, I think we'll end this episode. Nick, thanks so much for judging the competition and writing such amazing poems, and uh, for uh, for joining us for this episode.
1: Great pleasure! It's great fun as always.
0: And we will be back very soon. Probably not until after Christmas, but we will be back in January with more episodes. Um, and you know, as always, send in your suggestions for grudgeworthy discussion topics. Uh, the email of the podcast is grudgescanbegood at gmail.com. And have a lovely Christmas holidays, New Year, festive season, holiday period, whatever you're celebrating. Have a good time uh, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye.